welcome back. I hope your uh, uh, lunch this afternoon was uh, even half as filling was, as uh, mine was. Thank you to Daniel and Tam for your hospitality. I am quite full, and it was quite good. And uh, Ronan, you're going to have to excuse me that I turned off the internet. I hope that uh, doesn't happen doesn't happen again. But I mistakenly hit the wrong switch, and the internet went away. But then it came back. Um, if you would please take your Bibles, and we'll go back to the book of Second Timothy. We're going to be looking at Second Timothy two. 1 through 19, and of course this morning we looked at the background to this letter, both who Timothy is, who or Timothy was, who Paul was, and then we looked at that first paragraph, uh, verses 1 through 7, and uh, saw that we are to be strengthened in the grace that God provides that is in Christ Jesus. Again, the title that I had from this morning is the same title for tonight, it's The God Who Enables. The God Who Enables, he is not some distant, far-off God who doesn't know us who set things up and wound it up and kind of just let it go. He is a God who is uh, involved in each one of our lives. He knows what we need. He knows how we need to learn what it is that he knows we need to learn. And he enables us to go through that instruction. And uh, as we look at these uh, verses, again, the thing that I want us to remember is that God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of his children. Let's look uh, and just read verses 1 through 19 again uh, to remind ourselves of what they say. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now this evening, uh, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, a descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, for the, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they have upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now let's pray. Dear Father, once again, I do thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, please help us tonight to have uh, eyes that see and ears that, he that hear so that we may leave as uh, obedient doers 
and not simply forgetful hearers. Thank you for this perfect law of liberty that displays you uh, and the grace that you have in Jesus Christ to us. May it do that tonight, and may we leave uh, with a better understanding of who you are and what you have provided to us as your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so as I said, the one uh, paragraph that we had already looked at was the paragraph that called us to be strengthened in the grace that is in uh, Christ Jesus. And uh, I noticed this morning that uh, Wilder had a t-shirt on. It was a Captain America t-shirt. And if you know anything about Captain America, you may or may not, but if you do, you know, his slogan is, I can do this all day. Um, You know, he can get hit by whatever kind of atomic bomb and he can get up and he can do this all day. And we might think that in the Christian life, that's the attitude we have to have. I can do this all day. But yet a, a, a paragraph like that reminds us that actually we can't and we don't have to. Um, all we have to do is obey what God has given us to do. And God, through his graciousness, shows us what that is that we have been called to obey him to do. And he gives us the tools we need to be able to live according to that grace. We're not supposed to be some kind of he- superhero because it's not about us, it's ultimately about him. And he gives us the grace to live in the way that he wants us to live. And now as we move to the uh, second paragraph that teaches us about God's faithfulness and what he's enabled us to do, remember, there's a command at the beginning of each one of these paragraphs. Uh, Then there's a description of what it looks like when the person who is following that command lives out that command. And then there's an attribute or a characteristic at the end, uh, an attribute or a characteristic of God that... that, um, really gives us a confidence that uh, what God has called us to do, we can do because of who he is and what he has given to us. And so the the first command that we were called to in verse one was to uh, be strengthened. The second one here that we see in verse eight is simply remember. And then verse 14 we'll get to is remind, but remember. So our second point is simply Remember, verses 8 through 13, be strengthened and remember. And with everything that Timothy was responsible for, with all the activities going on around him, everything that he was involved in, what was the thought that Paul wanted to dominate his mind? What was the thought that Paul wanted to dominate our minds in everything that we're involved in, whether it's here at church, at home, at work? It's remember Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a reason that following Jesus is worth it. Uh, There's a reason that being involved in the gospel ministry is worth it, and it's Jesus Christ himself. Uh, There was a verse that I read this morning that I'll actually be referring to a couple times tonight because Paul reminded the Colossians of the same thing. And uh, if you had it written down from this morning, it's the same same verse, but I want to read it now and I'll refer to it again. It's Colossians 3, verse 1, which says, Since you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are uh, that are on the earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So why do we remember Jesus Christ? It's because it is he who is our life. And when he appears, we will be able to appear with him in glory. Uh, this, uh, this call to remember Jesus Christ is the same thing that the writer of Hebrews calls his readers to right after Hebrews 11. And you may remember in Hebrews 11, it's a record of all those who had lived by faith in the promises of God that they had up to that point. And 
the end of 11 said that they had faith and they they did all these things in their in their lives but yet they never received the the promise that the readers of Hebrews ultimately had 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 received in the person and work of Jesus Christ and so in Hebrews 12 and verse 1 the writer there says Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that he just referred to in Hebrews 11, some that we know their names, some that will, some that we may never know, possibly when we get to heaven, we will. He says, let, it, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, remembering Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, sometimes this phrase, remember Jesus Christ or look to Jesus Christ can be used as a, you know, a slogan or a, a memorable phrase that we might frame and put on the wall. And it, it's, it's certainly good for that. Um, but here in these passages, we see that it's, that it's more than that. It's actually to shape everything that we do. Uh, how we do what we do and why we do it. Again, whether we're at home or at work, church or at school, we are to remember Jesus Christ. And we, re when we remember Jesus Christ, we remember the love uh, that He had in coming to this earth. We remember the humility that He had in stepping down and uh, redeeming His creation that had turned their back on Him. We remember the peace that He brought to earth between those who had once been at war with God and who now could be placed into the family of God. And so those attributes of Christ that he so perfectly displayed are to be on display in our lives as uh, followers of him also. When we remember Christ, then our speech will be characterized by the same truth that, that he had. Uh, our actions will, be demonstrate, will, be, uh, will demonstrate the same kind of love that he had. Uh, our our lives will demonstrate the kind the same kind of obedience that Jesus had to the will of his father. Remember, Jesus said that he came to this earth to do the will of his father, um, to do that which it had it was that he had been sent to do. And so when we remember Jesus Christ, it's not just a slogan that we remember. We we um it continues to affect our lives so that we live in the way that Jesus did. And so we do want to remember Jesus Christ. Notice here that Paul also identifies the reason that he's um, imprisoned as the fact that he continued to proclaim the gospel of Christ. He says, I am a prisoner. Uh, he says that I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, according to the gospel that he had received for, from Jesus Christ. Uh, there are a number of other places in Paul's letters where he expands on what he means by the gospel. Here, he's rather brief because he does know that Paul, uh, that Timothy knows what the gospel is. Timothy, uh, Paul, again, was Timothy's mentor. He has invested in Timothy what the true gospel is. So it's not that Timothy needs necessarily taken back through all of that. He just needs reminded that the gospel is to be the thing that, that Timothy attaches his life to. And so the two aspects of the gospel that Paul calls to mind that ultimately will serve to encourage Timothy in the difficult situation that he is, is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he is the descendant of David. Uh, and ultimately, both of those things point to the same thing. And it's the attribute or character of God that that is the foundation of, of all of these verses, 8 through 13. And when we look at verse 13, we see that it is the characteristic of God, the fact that he is faithful. And so those two things that Paul is calling Timothy to remind, that Paul is calling Timothy to remember, 
when he talks about Jesus being risen from the dead and the fact that Jesus is a descendant of David is a reminder, just like uh, Pastor McLean said earlier, that God keeps all of his promises. Um, what Paul has done here is basically to summarize all the Old Testament, all of the promises that are all throughout the Old Testament, and then particularly the one about the fact that uh, David would have a descendant permanently on the throne of David. Jesus comes along and is that descendant. And when he's on the cross, it looks like God's promises have failed, that God's promise, that God's, that God's word has come to the end. But then Jesus's resurrection vindicated God's word. It proved his faithfulness. It proves that he keeps his promises. And so when we hear the word gospel, we, and sometimes I tend to think that the gospel is, we just think of it as the good news that Jesus saves me and takes me to heaven. And it, it is that. I'm not saying it's not that. It is that. And that's a very good thing that Jesus saves us and takes us to heaven. But the message of, the, of, of all of Scripture points out that the gospel is more than that. Uh, it actually drives us to trust God, uh, because if he was faithful to promise something in the Old Testament, and we can see some of those promises fulfilled now, we know that he is faithful to fulfill all of the promises that he has given to us as his children, pointing us into the future. Uh, and I don't want you to just take my word for this, so I would like to look at some of those promises and see what God has fulfilled up to this point. Uh, if you would take in your Bibles, go back to Second uh, Samuel chapter 7 where this promise to David is given to David and his descendants uh, and see what it is that, uh, that God promised to David. Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel chapter seven and verse 12. And this is God's covenant with David. When your days are complete, this is God speaking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I, re when I removed whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, he, he understood what this covenant was that God was promising to him. And his response was, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant consider, uh, concerning the distant future. And, and this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Now, therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever 
and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant, David, be established before you. And so you see this promise that God made with David that he would have an everlasting descendant. And when the immediate descendant, uh, we come to know as Solomon, would turn away from God, God's loving kindness would not leave the line of David. Uh, Jesus came in that line of David. And as I said before, when he was on the cross, it looked as if that promise has had stopped. But then by the very resurrection, God vindicated that the promise that he had made to David um, had come true, and he had kept his promise. Uh, on our way back to Second Timothy, let's stop off at the book of Hosea, another promise, uh, another prophet that called the Israelites to remember the promises of God. Hosea chapter 3, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Isaiah 3, verses 4 and 5. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and his goodness in the last days. And so Hosea is calling to a people who have turned their back on the God who made a covenant with them and a promise to them and promising them that even though they have turned their back on God, God would not turn his back on them. And because of his goodness and his faithfulness, there would be a time coming when they would return to him. And it would be done through this descendant of David who paid the price for their sins on the cross that they could never pay. Uh, then let's go back to Second Timothy. And so we do need to remember the good news that God keeps his promise. We remember Jesus Christ. We remember the good news that, that God keeps his promise. You know, Paul, we see, was willing to be a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. Out of his desire for the glory of God and the, the benefit of all those, he says here, who were chosen to receive that gospel by faith, he was willing to suffer persecution. Why should we as believers continue to give out the gospel today, even though sometimes it seems like there is very little harvest uh, why do missionaries leave where they grew up and go live on the other side of the world? Uh, because the faithful God who kept his promises in the Old Testament is still keeping his promises today, and we know that he will keep his promises into eternity. And all of those who come to God through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ find a faithful God who is willing uh, to receive them on the basis of what it is that he has done for them. And so we look back we look in the present and we look in the future. But here in this passage, particularly in verses 11 through 13, we see that God in his graciousness doesn't just teach and motivate us to obey him by, um, uh, by positive encouragements, these encouragements that he's faithful and, and keeps his promise. He knows that at times we need warnings also to keep us on the path and to keep us looking to Jesus. And so these last three verses of this paragraph have within them a warning that we should not turn away particularly when the pressure gets ratcheted up, when the going gets difficult, it might be easy to look to something that is not Jesus to get out from underneath that pressure. And God at times reminds us of his goodness and his graciousness. And other times he warns us that, that we can't turn from him because in turning away from him, we are turning to that which cannot do what only 
God can do through Jesus Christ. And so look at these three verses again, and you'll see that they're, they're kind of couplets. They're, they're, they, they go together. It may have been that this was a creed or a confession that Paul is, is uh, citing here. He does call it a trustworthy statement. And so it's in scripture because it's true, but you can see how they're kind of opposites until we get to the end. But ultimately what Paul is doing is, is warning us, one, that we can't turn away, from the truth of the gospel. But secondly, even if we do, we can remember the faithfulness of God from the Old Testament and know that if we come back to him in his faithfulness and goodness, he will be there for us. Uh, verse 11, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Uh, we read that in Colossians uh, chapter three, we have died and our lives are hid with Christ. So therefore we know that we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Uh, the, the master and the servants from this morning, uh, the master said to his servants, welcome into my rest, thou good and faithful servant. Verse 12, if we endure, we will reign with him. Uh, verse, the end of verse 12, this is where the warning comes in, starts to come in. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And that last half of verse 12 going into verse 13 is perhaps at times maybe the little, uh, a little difficult for us to, to, to hold on to, to, to believe, you know, that that's in the Bible because I thought my salvation is secure and I thought that I'm in God's hand and no one can pluck me out of it. And, and we are, and that's true. We can't, we can't lose our salvation. Ultimately, what Paul is doing here is really repeating what Jesus had to say in Matthew 10, verse, verse 33, and that, it, and that is the fact that there are some who call themselves disciples, who at times will follow Jesus Christ, but again, when the going gets tough, they look to get out from underneath that toughness, that pressure, and they ultimately turn, turn away from Jesus, and Paul is warning us that we can't do that. You know, there's a difference between someone who, who um, simply professes faith in Jesus Christ and someone who genuinely possesses faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly a true believer does both. But it's, it's also the difficulties of life, the trials, the testings, the persecutions that cause someone who is simply professing faith in Christ to turn aside from Jesus and go back to, to whatever it was that would get them out from underneath that burden. And Paul and Paul is reminding us here with this pass with this with these verses that no matter what it is that we do, it all stems from the faithfulness of God. There are times where we are faithless. There are times where we turn back from obedience to Him. But as God promises us in First John, if we are if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, being a believer doesn't mean that we're perfect. Being a believer doesn't mean that we always do what is right. It means that when his word confronts us and convicts us and shows us that we have forgotten Jesus and need to turn back to him, then we need to remember him and turn back to him in faith. And a believer will do that. And a believer will do that not because of the strength that is in, in them, but because God is faithful and in his goodness, he will turn them back to, to, to himself. And, uh, you know, especially in a church, that's not a, it's not necessarily an easy thing to think about because confronting sin is not something that's easy to do, but it's, it's something that Paul called Timothy to do. Uh, Timothy, again, was in Ephesus to do just that. And it's something that at times we as believers have to do with other believers around us. But this goes back to even um, uh, imitating the love of God that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Love, loving someone doesn't always mean doing the, the, the easy thing 
for someone else, but it does mean doing the right thing for them. And sometimes it means being the one who reproves, rebuke, strengthens, correct. But again, that that points to the graciousness and faithfulness of God of, in, in putting us in a, a group of believers who love us enough to point that out and call us back from the faithlessness that we've fallen into. And so we need to remember Jesus Christ. I, I say one, that's one tonight, that's really two. Uh, number three, then, we see here in verse 14, we need to be strengthened, we need to remember, and then we need to remind. Remind them of these things, solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. I remember this morning in verses 1 through 7, I said uh, that grace, that the grace that God gives us is not to stay bottled up inside of us. Uh, Timothy was to take the message of a faithfully gracious God and call others to the same life of faith that he was in to go along with him. And it is easy to forget our God. It's easy to forget that that's what God is calling us to. And so we all need reminded. I need reminded. It's easy to get caught up in the flow of life and the things that just have to get done. What's the next thing that needs to get done? And so we need to be reminded of these things, the things of God, the truth of the gospel, the grace that we've been given in Jesus Christ, how that grace looks when it lives out in our lives. Um, those who had forgotten in Ephesus here in verse um, here in verse 14 are described as uh, quarreling about words. You see that in verse uh, verse 14, the, the word here in the New American Standard is wrangling about words. It's something that's useless and ultimately produces ruin in those who are listening. We don't know exactly what words those in Ephesus uh, were quarreling about. I don't think it's about something that had to do with the very truth of the gospel, because Paul had already called Timothy to guard that, to protect that, to defend that. Um, I think more what it is, is that... Um, they were focusing, some in the church were focusing on unique or maybe new definitions of biblical words to the exclusion of what the Bible was actually saying. So they were like, hey, I found out this new definition. And if we take this one word and kind of change it, then it kind of changes how we have to live as a follower of Jesus. And we see that we know that it was leading people away from Jesus because the end of verse 14 says that it's useless and it led to the ruin of hearers. Um, if you look down in verse 18, we see that ultimately it gets to the point where they were denying, uh, saying that the resurrection had already taken place. They were denying the fact that there was still a resurrection to come, that God would keep his promises and raise from, dead, raise from the dead all who had already died. So it did end up getting to a place where the gospel was denied. But at the beginning, it didn't start off like that. But you see what the uh, antidote to that kind of wrangling is, and that's in verse 15 where Paul says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. It's the, it's the word of truth, not just simple definitions of words throughout the word of truth, but it's the whole word of truth that's going to counteract that error whereby the believers are being led away from Christ. Uh, the word ashamed here does, it isn't necessarily pointing to maybe somehow we think about, you know, I, I'm kind of ashamed to give the gospel, or I'm kind of scared of what people might say as a result of giving the gospel. Ultimately, the word ashamed is pointing to the, to the fact that we will never be let down by the gospel. Um, we've never, uh, no one has ever come to God through the gospel and, you know, the gospel not work. 
we've never been let down by the gospel. Now, it, it is sometimes it's true that that we don't know how people are going to respond to the gospel, and we, we might be a little bit scared. And this is a verse that would help us in a situation like that. But ultimately, it will help us because it, it reminds us that the truth of the gospel will never let us down. Um, I look over at chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, uh, verses 1 through 4 there, because this goes along with the chart. This goes along with verse 15. It's the charge that Paul gives to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to the myths. Um, you know, if someone comes along with some kind of new and novel interpretation of scripture that ultimately turns us aside from the gospel of Christ, it's the truth of the gospel that brings us back to God's word. And by knowing the truth, it keeps us from being turned aside into this useless wrangling. Again, I said it kind of goes in a spiral and keeps getting worse and worse. We see in verse 15, uh, verse 16, that it actually turns into a worldly or an empty chatter and that it leads to even further ungodliness. Um, Ultimately, what's going on is these false teachers in Ephesus were doing the same thing that the serpent did for Eve in the garden when she, uh, remember her words to Eve were, you know, has God really said? And if you remember back to the example of the athlete at the beginning of the chapter, you know, the, the, the thing that I said might be difficult for an athlete was the fact that there are all these, you know, these rules, these boundaries that an athlete has to stay in to be able to compete and to win the prize. And those rules are only a, only difficult because sometimes we don't want to live within them. Um, the, the false teachers here were, were putting that question into people's minds, has God really said? Does the Bible really mean what you think it means? And we know that they were taking them away from their from the word of God by causing them to question it. Uh, because what does verse 17 say about their talk? says that their talk spreads like gangrene. Now, there's a couple very good reasons why I didn't choose a career in the medical field. Uh, I know a couple of you have. I'm thankful for your service in the medical field. Uh, this word describes one of the reasons why I would not make it in the medical field. Um, I'm sure you have some graphic descriptions of what gangrene is, and I would be very thankful if you keep them to yourself, okay? Um, but that's what this talk ends up doing. It spreads like gangrene. It infects, it, it destroys, it eats, it tears apart. Verse 18, um, these two men that Paul describes are men who have gone astray from the truth. Ultimately, they were saying that the resurrection has already taken place. They were upsetting the faith of some. They were set it, separating the gospel of God from the, the life that a believer was to live. They were saying, yes, you've got the facts, your salvation is secure, but then they were separating that from the kind of life that Paul is telling Timothy we are to, to, to strive to live as believers. And so they were destroying the faith of some. 
Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 is, long, is one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. It's around 60 verses. And in that chapter, Paul goes to great lengths to show how the resurrection is connected, not just to the gospel, but to the whole life of a believer. You know, if, if Jesus isn't coming back, then we are of all, of all men most miserable. So you, these men didn't necessarily start off denying it, but because they were leading people away from the truth of the word of God, they got to that point. And so we need to be reminded of the truth of God's word so that we don't go off following a path like that. And the picture that uh, Paul finishes with in verse 19, the picture that we can uh, fill our minds with that reminds us about who God is and how it is that we're able to hold on to the truth, how it is that we know that the truth that we've received from God is the thing that won't pass away is this cornerstone that he uh, pictures for us in verse 19. Uh, look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. There's the statement of confidence, the statement of assurance. And just like the word of warning that he had back up in verses 11 through 13, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. They... Each of those, those two statements go together. You can't have one without the other. On the one hand, we, can't, we can strive to live a sinless life, uh, but ultimately, if it's apart from being one of the ones that the Lord knows who are his, we're doing it, uh, you know, it, it's our own works, and we get into eternity, and we don't have anything to, to hold before God. We don't have any righteousness before God. On the other hand, we want the assurance of the fact that everyone who names the name of the Lord, uh, we want the assurance that the Lord knows those who are his, and that's true. But if we are one of those, then we will also abstain from wickedness. And so the picture I get here is, um, you know, of a, a skyscraper in New York City. I've never been to New York City, and actually there were no skyscrapers back in Ephesus. So if you want a picture more of a, a, a building back in Ephesus, that's fine too. But if you're at the corner of one of those large buildings, there's a cornerstone. You can see both sides of that cornerstone. Of course, not the insides, but the outsides. And this cornerstone that Paul is calling us to, to rest our life on is stamped on two sides. And I remember at one point there was a picture downstairs on the wall that had an artist rendering it that, of this. I um, Obviously, I realize it's been a while since I've been here. And by saying it's been a while means that I keep getting older. And so that's not necessarily something I like to think about. So I think I'm remembering correctly, but I recognize that as I get older, I remember more incorrectly. But I think there was an artist rendering of this, a, a cornerstone that's stamped on one side, the Lord knows those who are his. And on the other side, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. You can't have one without the other. A cornerstone that loses part of itself will cause the whole building to collapse. God knows that we need both the words of assurance so that we have confidence in who he is and what he does, but he knows that we also need the words of warning, the words of direction, so that our life will follow along with what it is that he's calling us to do. Um, you know, when God's grace saves us, it brings repentance along with it. Repentance is turning from sin and toward God. We can't have faith in God without also having repentance that would turn us from sin and toward him. The ability to, to repent, the desire to repent is all a product of God's grace. 
The desire to fight sin in our lives, the ability to resist temptation, it only comes from one place, uh, the faithful grace of an, an, of an unchanging God. And the God who enables is the God who uh, calls his believers to live this kind of life, a life that trusts his faithfulness, that remembers the promises that he has made, that he has kept up to this point, and that he is going to keep in the future. And God calls his believers to depend on his grace to... Um, uh, to turn from sin, to abstain from wickedness, because saving grace is sin-fighting grace. They they go together. And so, uh, and so remember, God's gracious faithfulness powerfully produces strength in the lives of God's children. And he calls us to be strengthened, to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He calls us to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Uh, and he calls us not just to keep those things in our mind, but for those things to work out in our lives and to remind them of these things. The them is, is anyone around us who needs reminded and to solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. So not just remind them about things, but to, to, to remind them that they need to turn from sin. And God is the one who helps us to be able to do all of these things. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do praise you tonight that you are the God who enables, and when by your power, or as by your power, you enable us as your children to do that, I am thankful to you that your power never runs out. Uh, thank you that that uh, strength that you have has never weakened. Uh, it will never weaken. It can never weaken because you are the God of all strength. You are the source of all grace. You are the one who helps believers to know that your word is true and to connect our lives to it. Thank you that you are holding us fast so that we can hold fast to you. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity this morning, this evening, to be able to, consi to consider these words in our lives. Would you please use them throughout this week to glorify yourself in what you have called us to do? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.